Well, I'm very excited about what's going to take place in the next few weeks because we're starting into a new sermon series. And if you're new to Sardis Fellowship, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Rod Heppel, and I am the lead pastor here, as Tim uh, indicated, which means um, absolutely nothing except for you need to be praying for me. Um, thank you for, for joining us, and do let us know of your visit with us today. I'm excited because this new sermon series is one that's been on my heart for a long time, uh, about a year. And uh, I was taking an online course uh, with Daryl Johnson through Regent, and I was enjoying my learnings in the Gospel of John. So if you hear anything today that seems new or exciting, it didn't come from me. I just get it from everyone else, right? That's what good preaching is, is uh, listening well and learning and then applying it to your own life. So as we get into the Gospel of John, and I want to thank uh, Michelle and Anne who do the decorating here at the church, but Michelle recently who did up front, but she also put together these two um, uh, pallets with the decorations where it says, John's Gospel, that you may have life, because that's our theme this fall. Now if you know, the word gospel means good news, most of us will be aware of that, but if you're new to church, you might not know that. There are four good news accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're looking at one of the four, John's Gospel. In a certain way, it stands alone or it stands different from the other three, because if you were to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would see a lot of parallel to the stories and the ones they've chosen to tell in the way, the chronology and the ordering of how they've told those stories. So they're very similar, so much so that they're referred to as the synoptic Gospels. But John's does not align in the same way at all. Um, chooses to, to, to tell some of the same stories, but has his own material of the stories that he wants to share with his audience. Um, and predominantly, John is different because he really focuses on who Jesus is. He wants people to know his identity and why it is that he came. So he kind of doesn't necessarily go into all of the chronological ordering of events of how it happened as much as he goes into the, well, who is Jesus and why did it happen? So that's where John is trying to take us, which makes him stand out from the rest. He was uh, writing his gospel at a later time frame than the other three, and it was probably kind of like his um, pondering for years the ministry of Jesus, pondering the teachings, pondering the stories, and really crystallizing for himself who Christ was, why he came, and now sharing it, taking the time that others too might know this message. These things he has written about are signs. The things that he's chosen to speak about by way of the teachings, the miracles, and the events of people meeting Jesus were to be signs that he was saying, take note of, because it means something. And I'm going to fill you in on what that meaning is. But he takes us on the journey to come and see what it looks like so that we ourselves might ask the same kinds of questions. So when he shares about a miracle or the clearing of the temple, these have a purpose and a meaning that John wants us to understand. And he takes the time to explain it. So here's an example of what I mean by all of this and the difference from Matthew, Mark, and Luke compared to John's gospel. Uh, if you were to go to Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, you would see that they talk about the Christmas story where they outline the events, the ordering of what happened with Joseph and Mary and coming into Bethlehem and the angels and the shepherds and the star and all those kinds of details that surround the story, as well as they talk about the birth of Jesus. But John's gospel doesn't go into those details, but he does reference it. But what he does is he referenced the what happened there. What was this event all about? Why the angels? Why the coming of Jesus? And he says simply in four words, the word became flesh. 
And we're going to get into that next week when we look at John chapter 1 in the prologue. But just know today that John wants you to understand, I'm not taking the time to go into all the details of the chronology and that. He has certain details he shares, but he has his purpose. And in this particular case, what you're going to see is that he often takes you to the heart of the why. Who is Jesus? Oh, he's the word. And what about him? He became flesh. And what does that mean? Because he's the savior of the world. And so that's what John's trying to accomplish with his gospel. John uses also unique language, uh, language that is only really found um, in him in the way in which he uses it. You'll find the word believe in the other gospels, but, you know, Matthew uses it, uh, I think, 11 times, and Mark uses it like 14 times, and Luke maybe 17. John uses the word believe 98 times. So obviously it's a very key word for him, along with some of these other words uh, that you see here, witness, love, abide, light, darkness, word, glorify. He has a certain vocabulary and a uniqueness about that vocabulary that distinguishes himself from the other writers. And the key thing about this word believe when he writes about it 98 times, is that he also uses it in a different way. He doesn't use it as a noun, like belief. He uses it as a verb, as in a continuous action. You know that a verb is an action, right? To run, to fall, to fly. Um, to believe into. There's movement. There's something that's happening. And his whole idea of believe in the way in which he uses that we are moving into Jesus, into deeper relationship with him, which is going to tie into the so that you may have life. This afternoon, I'm going to be performing a baptism of a young man in our church. Um, it's Josh Peters. And we're going to be doing this in a, in a pool next door to where he lives. And there's two questions that we normally ask people when they're being baptized. We ask them two questions based on what we think are the two things that are central to what baptism is, is signifying. So the one question we ask is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? To which the person answers, yes. And is it your desire today to be baptized? Because we want to distinguish from maybe trying to please your parents or doing it because my pastor wants me to? No, is it your desire to follow Jesus? Because what you're doing here in this tank today is between you and the Lord and you're publicly declaring it to those who are watching. So the question that we ask can be asked in two different ways. You could ask the question, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Or you could say, are you trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? So you see the nuance there, right? A past tense, which happened once, or an ongoing reality. And if you were to look at John's gospel, both are true. You're going to find that there is a time for initially putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but your faith doesn't stay stale. You are believing into Jesus, and it is an ongoing, continuous action of putting your faith and trust in Jesus on a daily basis. It's ongoing. I've already addressed a little bit about the why. Why did John write this book? But he gives us his own answer to that question found right towards the end. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, after the appearing of Jesus to the disciples a couple of times. John makes this statement. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are written, he says. I have taken the time to point out to you certain events and activities of Jesus. I have thought about this long and hard. And this is my opportunity to convince you so you might know the identity of Jesus Christ. And that by knowing his identity, you would believe in him. And by, by believing in him, you're going to experience something that he calls life. Knowing, believing, 
having. That's why John took the time to write this gospel. I'm excited about this this fall because I think there are people amongst us who come here and go, I'm not quite sure about that yet. And I'm hoping that this fall as we go through this, you might read and listen and learn from John and go, I do know who Jesus is now. I do believe in him and I do have life. So that's where we're going this fall, and I'm very excited about it. This is called evangelism, by the way. John is an evangelist. He is writing this letter or book so that people might come to know Jesus and trust in him. That's what evangelism is. Um, Our churches are often called evangelical churches. All that means is that we believe that this good news message, this gospel, is for all people, and that you can know Jesus and believe in him and experience a change, a transformation. It's called life. And we believe that, or or else why are we here? This is not just a country club. This isn't just a social gathering. Community is important. Friendship is important. But we don't gather just for community and friendship. We gather centered in Jesus Christ so that we might know his transformative work in our lives. And what John really wants us to be convinced of is don't look back to an event in your life. I want to know, are you believing into Jesus? Are you believing into Jesus? Are you still walking with the Lord? The gospel is not just for those who have not yet heard. I think whenever we hear the gospel preached, our own lives as Christians are nourished by it. I think we are inspired by the gospel on an ongoing basis. I know I am. I listen to other preachers and I hear them present the gospel and I say, amen. It inspires my faith to hear it. So if you're a believer here and for the next 10 weeks, if you're thinking, oh, that message is for someone else, it's not. God has something for each of us here today. He wants us to grow in our faith. So we, just before we talk more about the, um, the theme that we have, that you may have life, um, let's talk about which John is the author of this, because it can get a little bit confusing. As soon as you start reading into chapter one, you read about John the Baptist, and you might be thinking, okay, is this the same John or not? And, and so to be clear, this is not John the Baptist who has written this uh, account of the life of Jesus, uh, although John the Baptist is mentioned um, in this account. As you know, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He was also the one who was baptizing people when Jesus came on the scene. So he was about six months older than Jesus. He was preaching. Why was he preaching? Why was he baptizing? He was saying, hey, Israel, you better get ready. You got to repent. There's one coming who will be the Messiah. And so he was preparing the people of Israel for Jesus. He had a message. And the baptism he had was a repentance from Um, walking in the wrong direction with God to walking in the direction with God, which would then prepare them for the person of God so that when Jesus came on the scene, they would receive him. Um, John the Baptist did not write this. Well, then who did? The second, oops, the second person right there is John the disciple. And uh, that's who most scholars believe this to be, and there's lots of good evidence and reason for that, that this is John as in Peter, James, and John, right? One of those three in the inner circle of Jesus He was uh, the brother of James. Together, they had a father named Zebedee. They had a fishing business. You might remember the stories. Jesus walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He finds four friends. They're all fishermen. They might have been in business together. There's Peter and his brother Andrew. There's James and his brother John. And Jesus calls them to follow them. And they drop their nets and they leave their business and they follow Jesus. So that's John. That's the one who's the disciple of Jesus who's this author here. You know, there's some other things told to us about John. Actually, lots. But uh, John was known with his brother, termed by Jesus, by the way, as the sons of thunder. Yeah, you know that. Uh, they went through a Samaritan village, and they wouldn't house the disciples, and they said to Jesus, do you want us to, you know, call down fire? 
<laughs> Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. And why I pick up on that is as we read the Gospel of John, we realize he's no longer a son of thunder. He's a son of love. His heart has been changed by Jesus. And now he is tender and inviting, and he's calling all people to put their faith in Christ. So this is the John. The, he also is referred to in this gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. You might be familiar with that term. It comes out more than once. He was the one at the cross with Jesus' mother Mary when Jesus spoke from the cross and says, Behold your mother. That's what he says to John. Take care of my mom. She's going to come into your household. Take care of my mom. Uh, this is the John that leaned on Jesus' uh, uh, chest when they were having the Last Supper. This is the John that he says of himself, um, I am loved of the Lord. And it's not an arrogant thing to say this. I think what it is, is as John has had time to realize his relationship with Jesus, that's the natural position that anyone would land in, that you would be the beloved of the Lord. And, and so it just expresses this closeness of relationship in his understanding of who Jesus is in his life. Some scholars do argue for another John, but the evidence is definitely on the side of John the Apostle, John the Disciple. So as one of the 12, he was a real insider to the life of Jesus, so much so that he could write these famous words, for God so loved the world, everyone, even those Samaritans in that village that he wanted to call fire down upon, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John's gospel, John's version of his good news is being written so that we might have that eternal life. So what is John aiming at? What does he mean when he says that you can have this life? And that's what I want us to focus on for the next few moments is this understanding of life. So John speaks about life a lot in his gospel. We're going to highlight a few of the verses in a moment. But first, I learned something through this course that I took, uh, something C.S. Lewis has written about in his book called Mere Christianity, where he talks about the two Greek words used in the Bible, and in particular in John's writings, for life. One is called bios, and the other is called zoe. Bios and zoe. John uses these two words to define life. Now, bios is natural life, whereas zoe is spiritual life, or life from above. And this is the quote from C.S. Lewis. The spiritual life which is in God from all eternity, this is zoe, and which made the whole natural universe is zoe. Bios has, to be sure, a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to Zoe, but only the sort of resemblance that there is between a photo and a place, or a statue, which then changed from being a carved stone to being a real person, a real man. And that is precisely what Christianity is about. This world is a great sculptor's ship. We are the statues, and there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. So that's his way of trying to help us understand this world in which we live in. There's something very natural, which is in a, it, it's amazing in its own right. But there is something that is supernatural. There is something that is spiritual. As much as we would understand the difference between me showing you a photo of Hawaii and you going and sitting on the beaches in Hawaii or snorkeling in Hawaii, you would go, wow, the photo was cool, this is better. Or a statue that is frozen to a person coming to life. I've often thought about creation, what it must have been like to just see like trees and plants and flowers and everything like that, right? And go, wow, that, that is so amazing. 
But the moment that a squirrel moved, like, what, what's that? I know people do that all the time. They're just, you know, ADHD, right? What's that? But think about what it is when you see something that is more than what we would call normal or natural. We go, oh, wow. And what John's trying to do in his gospel is go, there's bios life, but there is also zoe life. And that's what um, C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand. Now, Daryl Johnson, the professor from Regent that I was taking the course with, was really picking up on this idea. And he, he made this point. He said, you get bios when you're born, and it's a good thing, but it's got a problem. Okay, it's a good thing, but it has a problem. It decays, and it decays to the point of death. It dies. But you get Zoe life when you are born again, when you are born from above. Pastor Tim's going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. God is Zoe, he said. God has Zoe, and God shares Zoe with us. God shares his eternal life with us. He breathes into us something that means we are born again spiritually. An example of these two ideas is found in this verse in John's Gospel. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, and it says this. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, life, born, not of blood, bios, nor the will of the flesh, bios, nor the will of man, bios, but of God, zoe. Okay, so this is the way in which we're going to see in John's gospel how he's using these two different verbs or these two different Greek words for life. Zoe, let's talk about it. Let's look more deeply at it. Another person was evaluating Lewis's work on this and he says Lewis sees it, as Lewis sees it, earthly life or bios life is selfish actually at the core of its being. It's just materialistic and ultimately it's self-defeating. Why? Well, by default, Humans exist for themselves. Humans are living, who are just living for a bio state and don't live for Zoe, tend to accumulate material possessions and live for themselves. Now, that's a pretty good picture of humanity that I don't think ever changes. So whether it was written by Lewis or whether it was written by John, it could be written today and it has the same effect because we understand. We see it all around us. People who live just for bios life. But the flaw in bios is that material pleasure is by very nature temporary. It's fleeting. It's in a state of decay. As we go through life, the material things that give us pleasure invariably become less and less satisfying. Are you identifying at all with this? Therefore, the person who lives only for material life, bios, will gradually become less happy with his or her existence and feel a deep yearning for longer-lasting sources of joy. Okay, so I just read for you someone else's writings, but I'm interacting with it because I think that it's so relevant. I think that it's so obvious. It's my own experience. I know the difference between living bios life and living for bios life or living for zoe. I know the difference when I have bought into bios and it leaves you feeling like it's empty. And that's why John writes this gospel. There's something more. There's something more for us once when we first put our faith in Christ, but there's something more for us each and every day of our lives when we choose Zoe life. That's what he's arguing for. And Lewis's point is that the more that you understand the fleetingness and the emptiness of bios life, it's going to point you somewhere. It's going to point you to Zoe life. 
And I think that's true too, because we actually live in a time where people are very spiritual. You can go into any coffee shop and talk about your religious experience or what you're doing with your faith, right? There's no kind of qualifications around if it's faith in God or not. It's just whatever your version is, because people are really seeking something when they've realized, hey, 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 this materialistic thing, it doesn't satisfy. And so they're seeking. And John's trying to say, yes, yes, that's right, you're seeking Zoe. And that's what Jesus has come to give. He's come to give us Zoe life. Jesus offers it to us. We're going to see Jesus meet various people in the gospel where this is brought out. And so I'm just going to quickly name two of them. Uh, Nicodemus, which Tim will speak on in a few weeks, and then the woman at the well. With Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus concludes, what? i got to go back into my mother's womb? How do you do that? I'm an adult. <laughs> Nicodemus, that's Zoe. I mean, that's uh, bios. You're thinking natural birth, birth. And Jesus is talking about Zoe, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You must be born again spiritually. You must be born from above. So that's one example. The next one, the woman at the well. And I find this one really intriguing. Um, Jesus meets this woman at the well. You probably know this story. And he offers her something that he calls living water. He said, I, I want to give you living water. And she goes, really? Because I don't see your bucket. <laughs> and then she says, and the well is deep. So if you don't have a bucket and it's a deep well, how are you going to offer me this water? <laughs> That's what she says to him. And Jesus says to her, no, 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 no. That's bios. You're thinking well. You're thinking water. Bios. I'm talking something different. And so Jesus says to her, whoever drinks this water, bios water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. It will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's Zoe. That's what Jesus offers. And, and for those of us as Christians, and I've looked at this passage many times and I've gone, huh? I drank of that water once, but I'm thirsty again. Right? If we're honest. And that's, that's a verb tense again, which is in the present. Which says, keep drinking. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. You see, every day of our lives, I think we make choices whether we're going to buy into bios life or whether we're going to buy into zoe life. And if we want to not thirst again, keep buying into zoe life. Keep believing into Jesus. Continue to walk with him and find him to be the one that wells up in you something then greater than all of the fleeting things of this world that just leave us empty. That's where John's taking us. I have written these things so that you may have life by believing in his name. We're quickly going to look at a few verses where this is highlighted. Uh, John 1.4, John is writing, In him Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We've already looked at John 3.7, you must be born again. John 3.16, I've already read that you may have eternal life. John 4.14, but whoever drinks this water, this very one that I was just referring to, water will become eternal life. John 5, 39 and 40, you, he's speaking to the religious people, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, his father, right? And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up, that's supposed to be up, at the last day. 
For my Father's will is this, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I hope you find this encouraging. Because we live in a world with a lot of death and a lot of decay. And we need to be reminded of the fact that what God has for us lasts for eternity. He will raise us up. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then finally, and before Christmas, we will end with John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Did you catch that? The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. The one who believes in me will zoe, even though they bios. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I don't know about you, but this does encourage me. Every day of my life, I hear of death, I see it, I understand the decay on the outside, the decay on the inside, and I wonder about this world. And then I come to John's gospel and I read it, and I go, wow, Lord, you're still offering this to us today. So if you're a person this fall, and you haven't come to the place of understanding this gift that God offers you, I hope that you engage this fall, and you come to a place of receiving Zoe life by faith in Jesus Christ. However, it doesn't end there with just the first step of us putting our faith in Christ or receiving from Christ this Zoe life. There's a part two to this. There's something that God then invites you into. He invites you into his mission. He invites you into being a part of the plan of how this Zoe life gets passed on to other people. You're a part of it. We talk this a lot. But somehow we just stop with the receiving side. Life receiver. I, I have received the life, but am I a life giver? Am I a life giver? How do I pass that on to others? Do I have to stand on a street corner to shout it out to the world, or can it happen quietly in my home with my child? Can it happen with my aging parent who doesn't know the Lord? Can it happen with my brother who's walked away from the Lord? Can it happen in my workplace or where I buy my groceries? Can it happen wherever I do life? Am I a life giver? Just this last week, I was having coffee with a man who tends our church, and he shared with me a story reflecting back many years when his teenage son, late teens, uh, was getting involved with the wrong group of people and uh, in so doing, got into alcohol and drugs. And he gets a phone call, him and his wife, uh, late one night, early one morning, and um, it was a police officer. Uh, we have your son, and he's at the hospital and you should come down and see him. So he made his way down there to see his son. And you know, it's the sight that you never want to see as you look at your son and you realize that he's not the son that you know. His eyes were glazed over. He was in a straight jacket so that he wouldn't harm himself or others. And the father kind of quietly comes up along his bedside and he gives his son words of love. He says, you know, I love you. Yeah. The boy couldn't speak. He could just nod his head. You know, I love you unconditionally. But what you've done to yourself will destroy you. Would you let me pray for you? And the boy again nodded his head. Yes, you can pray for me. And he prayed this prayer. God, this is my son. Eyes open looking at his son. This is my son who I love dearly. But I know he is also your son. And I know that you love him way more than I can. 
Lord, would you touch him? Restore him and make him whole. Give him back to us complete. We don't know what he has gotten into, but we know that you are much greater than this. And so I'm asking in Jesus' name for your healing touch. Amen. And then he says, as my son's eyes followed me, I knew that he had heard me and he understood. I stayed a few more minutes longer and then I left the room. It was a sad day. Three days later, our son was released from the hospital, whole, complete, frightened, and quite subdued. We had our son back again, praise the Lord. But then the father went on to say, but that wasn't the end of his story. That was just the beginning. That wasn't the end of his healing. That was the beginning of his healing journey. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Is it not true? It's not true that when we say yes to our flesh, when we say yes to bios life and only live for the here and now and the materialistic and whatever gives us pleasure, that it ends in death and destruction. That's what the enemy comes to offer. Contrasted that is Jesus who comes as a good shepherd and he comes to offer us life and life to the full. And when we choose Zoe life for the first time and we choose Zoe life each and every day of our lives, we believe that that is true life to the full. Not life without its challenges or difficulties, but in the midst of the challenges and difficulties, I have an answer that goes beyond the grave. We are invited in to this process with God to be life givers. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Bios. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more. No longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. Zoe. The old has passed away, bios. Behold, the new has come, zoe. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and here's the part I'm getting at, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He could have chosen to do this another way, but he's chosen that we, who have experienced zoe life and been reconciled to God, would now bear the ministry of reconciliation. Are you a life receiver? Just or are you a life giver? And by the words we speak and by the way we live and by the attitudes of our heart, we can either be a person who sucks life out of people or we can give them life. We can lead them to the one who gave us life. Paul says he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, zoe. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Really? Because I feel pretty insignificant in this world. God making his appeal through us. Through your life. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, Zoe. So my question to you today is basically... Are you going to buy into this good news gospel message that John is offering? That you yourself may have life. That Christ still offers it today and maybe you haven't trusted in him. Maybe you haven't said yes to him. I'm hoping that you will. I hope you would in this very moment. 
There's no magic bullet. This isn't the magic prayer, but it's faith in your heart to say, yeah, I know who he is. He came into the world. He went to that cross. He died for me. I will trust my life into his hands. Your faith is what saves you. Prayer can help. Declare, confess, believe. But then upon that, what do we do with this? And that's the part I want to say to the rest of us. Let's be life givers. Let's give people what they're looking for. Because so often, we're just living for bios. But let's live for Zoe. Let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence today, I'm so grateful for the fact that you are the one who's chosen to share your Zoe life with us. It's by no means of our own. We can't generate this or do it. We just trust you for it. Thank you. Lead us to that, I pray. Inspire our hearts with this faith. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story that we're going to see in John's gospel where the religious leaders send the guards of the temple down to get Jesus and bring him back and they return without Jesus and they said, where is he? They said, no one ever spoke like this before. You know, when you get into John's gospel, you're going to realize there's only one son of God who's come into the world to save us from our sins. No one has ever spoke like this before. Go with the peace and grace of God and let's live and choose Zoe every day of our lives. God bless. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.